The following contains plot spoilers, and the comments and opinions expressed herein are for entertainment and commentary purposes only and may not reflect the actual opinions of Geeks Radio or the individual hosts. So don't get mad, it's just a show. Whosoever listens to this podcast, if they be worthy, shall have the power of a podcast listener. This is Totally Super. Welcome to Totally Super, where we review every superhero movie ever made. My name is Justin. And my name is Arthur. And today we are doing the second half of Thor, um, the maybe most important movie in the first phase of the MCU. It's easy to think that this film is like sort of considered to be one of the lesser MCU films. And we talked last week about um, about how when you watch this film this time, like, oh my gosh, this is setting up Thor as cosmic. It's setting up S.H.I.E.L.D. as a huge influence. It's setting up the Infinity Stones. It's setting up you know the, the main villain up, of Avengers. It's it's yeah. It's and I was actually realizing setup, but... the uh, it, another thing that it sets up is you know so much of this film is about Thor lifting the hammer, and in so doing, it sets up in Endgame possibly one of the most cathartically uh, amazing experiences uh, and emotional releases I've ever had in a movie theater, uh, which is you know. Cap finally picking up the hammer. Like that all starts here in Thor. Yeah, no, I I absolutely agree that this is that that this is doing such a good job with setup. I want to talk about where the MCU was at this time because so far the MCU has been uh the Incredible Hulk and then has been Iron Man and Iron Man 2. And at this stage of the game, there was some real consternation about we're introducing gods now and magic that's that i don't mm-hmm. know if this is going to fly the mcu did a tried its very very best to create grounded superheroes and this was a this real the first real time that of, the mcu has of, quote unquote gone to space yeah and that's the, it's a choice they make where they go you 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 call it magic we call it science magic is just science you don't understand yet this film does a good like a, a good time trying to say this is you know it's just really really advanced They're, we're just talking about mm-hmm. really really advanced aliens um yeah that doesn't it doesn't and, feel very lampshaded when they say that um i like that when we get to ragnarok and we'll talk about it they walk that back and they're like okay no we're this is just what it is and just deal with it um but at the time the question was could we have aliens could we have gods could we have magic or does this just you know there was a real gamble on this because everything else about the Marvel universe is sciencey. Um, mm-hmm. And it's funny to watch them tiptoe around it in this film. Um, now that we are like, you know, by the time we get Dr. Strange, we're like, no, we, there's just magic. And yeah, there's just aliens mm-hmm. and there's a multiverse and just go with it. Everybody. That's fine. We're fine. Let's just keep going. Um, uh, and I, I think this is the first film that sets up the idea of the Marvel universe being like the Marvel universe in the comics. I would agree with that. And and I think that you can't overstate the importance of that. Without this film, you don't get Doctor Strange. You know, without this film, you don't get Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Um, It's, 
it, it's such an important film for the MCU, and I and I think it needs to get credit for that. We were going to talk uh, last time. We said we we're going to get into the character, so let's just get into it. Um, uh, the first character I would love to talk about um, is, of course, Chris Hemsworth as Thor, mm-hmm. who it's hard for me to separate him out from the Thor we get to know. I think that that it would be easy when you first saw this film to say that, you know, he's fine. He's just okay. He's, you know, not going to win any awards, this guy. But, you know, he, he does mm-hmm. a pretty good job. Um, what do you think of Thor as presented in this film and the performance that Chris Hemsworth gives? I think you say it very well. It's, uh, it is a, I think, as with so many of the characters in this, um, he does a he does a perfectly fine, better than fine job with the character in this first go round, but it is in his subsequent uh, times with the character. You know, really starting with Ragnarok, that you start seeing just Hemsworth shining and truly making the role his own. Uh, you know, and this um, so. But that being said, you you sort of see the seeds of that. Uh, but it's clear that both from a writing standpoint and from an acting standpoint, he's still trying to figure out exactly his fit with the character. Yeah, I agree. I think that that he shows in this he has some comic timing, and you don't realize how funny this guy is. He's because he's mm-hmm. amazingly funny. Um, until yeah, who who to... among us thought that when that when all of this came out, who among us thought that oh Thor's going to be the funny Avenger? Yeah. It, it's it's but now he is i mean he is what some people call the comedy mule right it's his job to to bring mm-hmm. the jokes um yeah uh next let's talk about natalie portman as jane foster um i'm gonna come out and say uh i think that she is the weak link in this film i think that mm-hmm. she um it's not that she's bad but you don't need Natalie Portman to play this role. There's nothing that interesting about the role itself. She's not bringing a whole lot to it. Um, it seems a little bit like she doesn't entirely want to be there. Um, I'm not getting, you know, like she's playing like a Meg Ryan type of character. And I think there are other actors who would have brought, you know, more of a, you know, more layers, more nuance to it. Um, I think she's delivering exactly what's asked of her and nothing more. Um, and I'm disappointed in in that. I don't know if the film doesn't serve her well or if she doesn't serve the film well, but I just feel like there is there's I'm not seeing a lot from her in this. Your thoughts? Um, I would agree with that. Uh, Natalie Portman, I love her as an actress. She has a oh gosh, in the film Cold Mountain, she has a 10 minute role that is one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever seen in film. Um, like, so I, as an actress, I, she sticks out in my mind as being incredibly good. Uh, that being said, you know, Hemsworth as Thor, Hiddleston as Loki, I think to myself, man, I cannot see anybody else in the role. I could see a whole bunch of other actors uh, as Jane Foster. Uh, you know, my first instinct is to say, oh, well, they didn't give Jane Foster enough to work with. Um, but really, it's, no, she was a character. She has motivation. She has, uh, you know, she has a group of her own that she can play off of uh, with uh, Skelvig and, uh, you know, and her other assistant. Um, you know, so the the character as written, uh, you know, maybe not as fascinating as, you know, the god of mischief 
but still has a lot to work with. And she turns in a, a fine job with it. Um, but, you know, I I can't say this is a guarantee, but I, I totally see what you're saying, that, yeah, it would be interesting to see what another actress would have done with the exact same materials, and maybe that would have made her just a little more engaging. Uh, third, we're going to talk about uh, Tom Hiddleston as Loki. Um, he's very good in this. He gets even better every time he mm -hmm. plays Loki. Um, uh, the one thing that, you know, when you see Loki in the comics, Loki has this, this you know, this wicked smile. He's always got this, this wicked smile on him. And when Tom Hiddleston does it, it looks like Loki straight from the comics. What I was interested in the Loki this time is that he makes Loki all at once funny, mischievous, you know, brutal. But like, for instance, when he is losing his temper and and chewing out Odin and then Odin falls mm -hmm. in the Odin sleep, his panic there is genuine. Is genuine. Um, yeah. He, he is a he is a a. a a character that that I feel for, and I feel for where he's coming from, but I can't sanction what he does, and I find him funny and and charming and amazing. I think that he is not just one of the best villains, but one of the best characters in the entire Marvel universe, and all the seeds for it are are here. He is way better later, but unlike Chris Hemsworth, who has not yet found his character, I don't feel there's any sense of him not finding himself here um i think that loki yeah. is is spectacular here and he only gets better as time goes on you i mean i agree with you hiddleston is he's he comes screaming out of the gate with a wonderful performance that only gets better uh as the the role continues um loki is just a fantastic character in uh you know in the uh in the uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, he's a fantastic character in the comics. Um, and I feel like he always works really, really well when he's always just over the line into villainous. Um, the original incarnation of Loki was just like pure... He wasn't just the god of mischief. He was the god of evil. That was his name. Um, since then, they've, they've evolved the character a lot. Uh, and right now, he's kind of... Uh, even in the comics, in his current incarnation, it's like he continuously goes back and forth over the line between good guy and bad guy. Uh, which, you know, they, they sort of put him there in Ragnarok. Uh, and I, I really feel that's kind of where he's most interesting. Uh, and ironically, I think he's closer to that in this than he is certain. Like, in Avengers, he is the absolute clear bad guy. Um, in this, it's... Yes, he ends up being the bad guy, but also there's a whole lot of good things about him. Like it's a, it's a very nice sweet spot for him. Yeah, I think that that you needed someone who was so very different than Thor. The combination of the two of them is magic, and uh, mm -hmm. I'm gonna have more to say about that in the next couple of weeks. Um, tell me what your thoughts. I'll give you first first crack on Stellan Skarsgård as uh, Eric Selvig. Uh, you know, it's definitely some, a character that I noticed a whole lot more the second time through this film. Uh, the first time I had no memories of him whatsoever. This time though, uh, it's, uh, this time I really see how much the character adds to the Jane Foster dynamic. 
Um, my only experience of Skarsgård before this was uh, actually as the villain in the uh, the, uh, the Clive Owen uh, King Arthur that had come out a few years earlier, uh, in which he plays just this incredibly badass Viking. Um, like, so a complete, total turnaround character-wise. Uh, realizing that was the same person uh, made me very much appreciate him as an actor. Um, I think it's it's also worth noting about Skarsgård. Uh, he has some very famous children, um, which is worth noting. Um, his son, Alexander Skarsgård, was, uh, was the hot blonde vampire on, um, on True Blood. And mm -hmm. uh, his his other son, Bill Skarsgård, uh, is the um, is the evil clown and it. Um, right. So, yeah. So uh, so he has eight children uh, total. Um, moving on to uh, yeah, geez, no, I would no say pressure about, for about, the other you know, six. Yeah, about his about his performance. I think it's just that that solid sort of dad performance. You get to see how fun and silly he can be. Um, in in the next one he's good in avengers um uh i enjoy uh his presence and i think that as sort of a as a father figure and as a sort of the connection to thor the fact that he can he he can in the avengers he just goes out when loki shows up he goes loki brother of thor just to let the audience know and yet <laughs> it works he's out, he's able to sell that really really well him drunk in this is is pretty is pretty amazing um yeah uh so let's jump over to um, to Anthony Hopkins as Odin. I, I've heard people say that it seems like Anthony Hopkins is phoning Odin in. I don't know if he is or not. I don't know that he's necessarily acting in this. It's hard he to tell. Yeah. He's certainly performing. Um, and it's the great thing about, like, I don't think he's internalizing anything. But when he just goes, but you're not king. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I love it. I can't help but yeah. love it. How can I not love it? It's, it's, yeah, I mean, he's, it's very, it's, he's bringing a lot of himself to the role. Like the, oh, I, I will say the, the Odin in the comics is very different than the, uh, than, uh, Hopkins is uh, Odin. Uh, when Anthony Hopkins does it, Odin is much more, his default is much more reserved. Uh, he plays Odin as very much the, you know, the wise king who only gets angry uh, you know, in very key moments. Uh, in the comics, Odin is, you continuously see that anger simmering just below the surface at all times. And that's not what Hopkins does with it here. Um, I think it's, this is what we're seeing here, is default Hopkins. We are not seeing Hopkins at his most inspired. We are not seeing Hannibal Lecter. Um, I still feel, though, it was very good casting for the role because even default, if you're looking for wise old king, even what Hopkins brings by default is exactly what you're looking for. Yeah, I think that, you know, there, there is a style of acting that is just people who are really skilled at saying things in interesting ways. Um, mm -hmm. Patrick so I'm not, Stewart, I'm Ian not, McKellen. And I'm not seeing it in his, I'm not seeing it behind the eyes at all. But he's, you know... He's enormously talented. Him phoning it in is better than 90% of the people doing it. You know, he's Anthony mm -hmm. Hopkins. Yeah. So he's one of the best ever. So I, I, I certainly he's great here. He's not, he's not 
doing anything wrong. I'm not inspired by his performance, but every time he gets to be Anthony Hopkins in this, I love it. I don't know if that makes any sense, mm-hmm. but that's how I feel about him. I, I think so. Yeah. Um, Kat Dennings as Darcy. Uh, I had not seen her other work. Evidently she's very famous for a TV show. Um, oh, but, uh, but um, I love Darcy. I love yeah. the, the annoying sidekick, you know, the, the her calling it meow meow is is amazing and i think that, mm-hmm. that i think she it, is so necessary i feel like she is the voice of the audience in this film um yeah like this the the this is crazy how look how crazy all this is um you didn't need to have her in the film the film could have gone without her certainly Rag, ragnarok goes without her and jane foster but you didn't need her the choice to make her be what she is I think is the seasoning on the film that makes the earth stuff work. I think without her, the worst stuff doesn't earth stuff doesn't work nearly as well. Your thoughts. Well, I think Brando under, I agree with that. It, uh, it takes, it is a very difficult needle to thread to make a character who is annoying to the characters, but not to the viewers. Uh, and she does that very well. Uh, I, I wonder, and I can't say this for certain, but I wonder if it's because Brano understands the importance of a good ensemble of characters. Uh, you know, it's no, it's no coincidence that in Asgard we frequently see Thor surrounded by his companions. In the same way, instead of it being just Jane Foster uh, and Skelvig, uh, the addition of Darcy means that now this is also a group of companions. And, like, there's a sweet spot, like a magic number between, like, three to five or three to six, where... You know, everyone where it creates enough interesting moments for the characters to play off of. Uh, but then if you get beyond that number, then, you know, un- then usually you see characterization starting to suffer because you can't devote the time needed to each individual character. Yeah, and I think th- I think that's fair. Um, it's probably why people like Hopkins have to perform in such broad strokes. Um and mm-hmm. I think it's it's maybe the reason to go back to Jane Foster why a more subtle approach is not going to work. Um, real quick, uh, Clark Gregg as Agent Coulson. This is the first time you really get to see him do more than just kind of be in the in the background. I think that it is this performance that gets him Agents of Shield. Certainly, this is the most Coulson I think that we get in any um, Marvel film is this one. I agree. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting uh, is that he's the antagonist. Yeah. I think that, that he, but again, I, I don't know if it's the writer versus Branna. All the antagonists are also people you can root for. Um, mm-hmm. And that's so hard to do, especially in Marvel. Marvel's got a, a, a list of, of crappy villains um, that aren't that good. Um, so this yeah. is like like the fact that you root for every protagonist and antagonist in this film is is saying uh, something we could t- we could go on on these people. Um, we could go on with the Warriors three who are amazing. We could go on, which we talked about last time, Renee Rosso, who I don't quite understand what she's doing in this film. But then I love her um, in, mm-hmm. in the next and, and I love her in Endgame. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, but this is, again. Marvel knocking out of the park with casting and and really interesting character work by uh, by the folks in this film. Uh, so the film ended up making um, for the one hundred and seventy million dollars. 
that it costs. It ended up making $449 million. It establishes the Marvel Universe uh, as it's going to be. It establishes Thor as such an important character. He's the only character in the entire universe who's going to be getting four films with him as the title character. Um, uh, it does so much um, to, to, to bring this around. So I guess the big question that I want to ask you um, unless did you have a big question in mind? Because I have one, but I, I I'm not married to. Was there something that you would like to ask about this film, or that this film makes you think about? Um, no. I, let's go with your big question this time. All right. So my big question is is what is the balance that you think is appropriate, um, and what do you like to see about what some people call fan service, what some people call world building versus the 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 straight line narrative of a film because this film could be put up right next to its own sequel or Iron Man 2 um which the complaints are that there's so much time being spent building the universe um that you don't have enough time on the film they feel like distractions this film does it so incredibly well sets up so many things why is this film successful in doing that, whereas people say that the that that Avengers Age of Ultron is spending so much time in Infinity Stones, which has nothing to do with that story. Um, uh, why does this film work, whereas other films it seems like you're you're taking a break from the narrative to do it? Why is this film so successful and what it does, and where do those films fail by comparison? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, my first instinct with this one is that. Uh, everything that we learn about Asgard is actually important to the central narrative. Uh, your best world building is always going to come when the world, when you're, when you're providing information about the world, because that information is necessary to what the characters are doing in it. Uh, the, the whole problem with the, the Infinity Stones and all the stuff in Age of Ultron is that they were setting up things in future films, but that actually didn't have really that much to do with what was going on in Age of Ultron. Uh, you know, and, and again, just the old, the old adage of, uh, you know, show, don't tell. Um, if you can, you know, if you can show, you know, the Rainbow Bridge, the Rainbow Bridge's power, um, you know, the fact that, you know, Heimdall delivering the crucial information that it's just like, oh, I can't keep the bridge open uh, because if I did that, it would destroy, you know, whatever world it's connected to. Um, that information is only revealed because Thor is about to go over the Rainbow Bridge into Jotunheim and says, hey, can't you just keep it open for us? And Heimdall's like, no, no, I can't. And here's why. Um, that information is incru incredibly important for the end of the film, but is also important information in that exact moment. Uh, and if you can if you can achieve that, uh, I think that's the way to go about it. Yeah, I think I and I agree everything with everything that you just said. I think that that Iron Man Two is a great example. They literally take a break from the narrative of Iron Man Two to have Tony end up in a in a donut shop with Nick Fury to then introduce Black Widow and also have Coulson give him you know like colson pull out captain america's shield and at the same time have colson go to nevada to deal with thor and that feels like box checking 
that feels like you're doing mm. and age, age of Ultron has the same thing we have you know the the visions of the stones Thor going off specifically just to set up other films uh Captain America and and and, and Tony fighting you know twice in the film getting in really harsh arguments in the film feels like it's setting up civil war it doesn't seem to be entirely what the what the film is about even Joss Whedon has problems navigating that um Mm-hmm. I feel what this film does so deftly is as opposed to checking out boxes of what needs to be there, it feels like the writers were told, here's what we're going to do later. Here are the toys that are later and you must play with some of them. What would you like to play with? And they're ooh, like, ooh, nice I want to play with shield. I want to play with shield and I want to play with um I, I want to play with Hawkeye. That would be fun to have. And I want to, and like they, they got to bring it in to, to the film that they wanted to make. And it never felt like you were taking a break from Thor's story to do that, um, to do those setups. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that, that where you get in trouble with, with either world building or fan service is when you take a break to go, Anakin Skywalker, meet Obi-Wan Kenobi. And you're expecting the audience to go, ooh, look! Ooh, um, look at that. You know what I'd say the difference yeah. between the... Because something is at its... That kind of thing, at its best, is an Easter egg. At its worst, is just a total distraction. Um, or, you know, an obvious fan service. Uh, I'd say one of yeah, the crucial and- things, like... So, take Hawkeye, for example. Um, I can see a world in which they make the film by it's just like, I need a sniper, uh, you know, up top. And we see the film of like somebody reaching for a gun and then choosing to reach for the bow instead. And everyone being like, oh my gosh, it's Hawkeye. But then them not doing anything with that. Uh, with Hawkeye in this, the fact that we have just a couple lines, that's all it takes of him talking with Coulson. And then, you know, and just that one line of he's just like, look, I, I know he's fighting us, but I'm starting to root for this guy. Like suddenly we've got, suddenly instead of it, being this archer sniper who, oh, those in the know know is Hawkeye, it's suddenly there's somebody with character and a personality. And, you know, and even though that's all that we see, it's, he doesn't feel as shoved in anymore because all it takes is just the smallest amount of time to, to really, you know, if you're, if you're throwing in an extra character to set something up, that's fine, but don't just throw them in. Take a little bit of time to put to give them a little bit of notice and then you can move on. Well, and the, and, and the other trick is, is that, you know, they, you could almost see that that could not be Hawkeye. They could just say, of course, shield has a sniper up there. Of course they yeah. do. And maybe in any other action movie, you'd have the boss talking to the sniper. Do I take the shot? Do I take the shot? You yeah. know? And, mm-hmm. and it almost feels like they were like, what if we made that Hawkeye? Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Oh Goosebumps yeah, that's true. The, yeah. The- let's do it. Okay, like, that makes it, sense. The need a, for the sniper was already there, so they said, "You know what character we've got who would totally fill that need." And and it makes it even as opposed to we must introduce Hawkeye in this movie. Let's put a sniper there. That it it seems like that like the fact that it it could work on its own is the, the for the story. I think is the big thing. Could this thing work? Really, is this thing interesting on its own? If it's not the Easter egg that, it, that, that it is, does this work on its like, oh, I, like I, if we didn't know who Lando was, would it work that this random guy that we met on a planet is the guy who picks up all of the, all of the other people in rise of Skywalker. 
Like, no. Mm. So it didn't feel like they were like, ooh, we have Lando. What can we do with Lando? Like, it felt like they were just like, it's Lando. People are going to like seeing him. And it has to work that if we didn't know who Lando was, what Lando does would be interesting and it would be interesting for that character. And that's what I I think think, this film does so well. I think you've really highlighted the difference between uh, good fan service and bad fan service is that if you, uh, you know, and this applies to, um, you know, to in jokes uh, in, in any, you know, in jokes or like inside information in any situation. Um, the best way to do it is if you don't know anything about the backstory, you still totally get what's going on in the moment. If you do know something about the backstory, then your enjoyment of it is actually enriched because of what you know. But in neither situation are you should you be left confused. Yeah. Um, okay. All of that being said, on a scale of one to more, what one to five hammers, mm-hmm. what do you give Thor? So here's the thing with Thor, and even after the second viewing of it, like, I like this film. I like so much about this film. And yet, I cannot help but feel that this film is an example of sometimes the whole being somehow slightly less than the sum of its parts. And I can't exactly put my finger on exact on why that is. Um, but even at the time when it first came out, it didn't have that sort of, you know cohesive story as Iron Man or Captain America did um, or not, not it had a perfectly cohesive story but like there was just this this sense of incompleteness to it um, but that's being said if I look at it according to its individual parts the individual parts are great um, and again if this were 1988 this film would be a 4.5 if not a 5 uh, based on uh based on the amount of superhero stuff that we have now and comparing it to that, I would give this film probably a solid 3.5. Um, I'm going to come in and, and give it 3.75. Um, I would have hmm. been at a three, maybe a three and a half. The last time I watched my memory of the film, I had such, such a very good time watching this. Um, and I've seen this multiple times, so this is the best time that I've had watching this. Um, it is just, it's, it's fleet. It's brisk. Um, it is almost flawless and many things that aren't great can be flawless. Um, with the exception of just having sort of too understated of a, um, of a final battle in the town. Um, Mm -hmm. and Natalie Portman, not kind of living up to what she could be. Uh, this is just a really fun experience to watch. I'm saving four for things that are just slight. You know what? Screw it. It's a four. It's a four. All right. It's a, it's, it's, it's a four because of what it does to the Marvel universe. When you realize, oh my gosh, everything gets set up here. Mm-hmm. It's even more fun. Um, so 3.5 on its own, but as the best example I've seen of of world building for a, a shared universe that doesn't feel forced, yeah, I will I will give it a four um, 
for that and the introduction of Thor and Loki. It deserves it. It's a really good movie. It's a really fun, really good movie. I don't think it deserves to be called one of the lesser Marvel films. It has certainly yeah. risen in my esteem, both through this conversation and through uh, the experience of watching it this time. Super fun. You know what film people don't like a lot more than this? It's Thor the Dark World. Thor the Dark World. <laughs> Thor- <laughs> The uh, yep. the 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 Marvel the the powers that be at Marvel decided, hey, let's get the people who make Game of Thrones and let them do a Thor movie. It seems like it should work, right? It's it's that like mm-hmm. it seems like that that would be something they can do. They can do comedy. Certainly, they the you know Peter Dinklage is great on on Game of Thrones. They can do epic. They can do you know sort of old timey stuff. Let's let's give them a crack at it. It's a film that is derided. It's often listed at the bottom of the Marvel I'm Cinematic U- seeing Universe. Seeing it because the, I remember walking out of the theater with that one and not not enjoying it. Like so, I'm, I'm uh, knowing that it's derided and that it's continuously on the bottom of lists. I'm really looking forward to watching it and seeing. Okay, but does it deserve that derision? Well, and that's the question. It is also one of the first films to be released after the Avengers. So the yeah. question becomes: Have the have the 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 standards been risen so high that that now it can't live up and is that its problem will we see watching just thor to thor the dark world that ah this film is unduly um uh, unduly slept on we'll find out uh i'm really Mm -hmm. excited for that conversation this is such a and ragnarok i can't wait to get to but for now my name is justin and my name is Arthur, and hey there, true believers. Stay Mew Mew. Now that you've finished the show, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode of the Totally Super Podcast. Also, if you like this, you should head over to geeksradio.com or search Geeks Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. There you can find Trek Off, the not-safe-for-work Star Trek podcast with Justin and Alexia. So search for Trek Off, search for Pop Off, search for Geeks Radio, and just thanks for joining us. This has been a presentation of Endlight Entertainment.